excited as you probably hear me at the beginning of every episode as I giggle childlike but uh John is a dear friend of mine this is John Peralta and I met him through a place called The Space um and Live Harder Wellness up in Dillon Colorado and he's currently actually down in Costa Rica and has been for several months now and we're gonna have just an absolute flowful conversation that's even a word but we're going to just dive through a couple concepts of flow, how to get there, maybe some biohacking, maybe some talk about ceremony and buckle your seatbelt folks, because this is going to be a tangible journey. <laughs> so <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> we can only hope. Well, thanks, John. Uh, how are you doing down there in Costa Rica? Good, man. Seriously, thanks for um, setting this up. I'm really excited to be able to dive deeper with all of this stuff, especially because when you're kind of in the middle of it all, it doesn't make as much sense until you maybe step back from it. So since I've been in the middle of it now for some time, uh, yeah, it's a little bit jumbled around in my head. And it's nice to sit down and talk with you and sort of work out some of the ins and the outs and you know what's tangible and what's not. So I'm excited. 100%. Well, to give people a little context, John and I... John. It's, it's interesting because I'd say we trained together, really, you were training me in a very ninja fashion, but we we would uh, several times a week get up early and, well, early for me, so, you know, seven-ish, and do kind of flow-based, play-based interventions that you called prehab, and that was super meaningful, and I'm still enjoying that, just getting into flow, learning how to juggle, and learning how to slackline, so I'm curious, is that the kind of stuff you're still doing, or what are you doing down there? Yeah, so... Um, a little bit, just to give some context, uh, when I met you, Micah, that was back in November, I believe. And you came in to the space, which for those of you who don't know, is a awesome place in Dillon, Colorado, where people can go and receive all kinds of different wellness services uh, on a pay-what-you-can basis. And so that I think sparked your interest. You came in just wondering about it and we got all into prehab and prehab is rehab done proactively. And so you started asking about some of your you know, back pain and, and past injuries that you've had from skiing and things like that. And I was telling you about the training I do, which is corrective exercise. And I'm also a massage therapist. And the two go hand in hand. Because if you're trying to get out of pain or dealing with old injuries, uh, the best thing you can do is mobilize and stabilize. And those are really, really important uh, topics that I've spent years trying to figure out and ultimately play with. And so as we started training and trying to figure out, okay, you know, is your back hurting because of your tight hips? Is it hurting because you have an unstable lumbar spine? Uh, is it both? Or is it, you know, some herniated disc? That was even a fear of mine at one point. And we went to the chiropractor and uh, looked into that. And so all of those are things that a lot of people deal with. 
whether they're coming out of some crazy ski injury uh, years ago or they sit behind a desk. Those are really common imbalances that I see all the time. And I've also had low back pain from a wakeboarding injury. And that's what led me into corrective exercise. And so when we started out, it was very much to try to correct the imbalances that we were uh, dealing with. And then it kind of took an interesting turn because I started to play a lot more with how to stabilize your spine and your hips and your shoulders, of course, while having as much fun as possible. Mm -hmm. And something I don't see a lot of, especially in the rehab world. Rehab, for those of you who have never uh, gone to physical therapy or done anything like it, it's pretty grueling, especially if you're coming out of surgery. It's not fun at all. It's pretty painful. And you're being asked to push your joints to work again. And if they've uh, been immobile for some time, especially from recovering from surgery, it's an extremely painful process that takes a lot of uh, time and detail to attention. Uh, attention to detail. <laughs> but if you aren't coming out of surgery and you're just dealing with aches and pains and imbalances and uh, wear and tear, then it doesn't need to be so grueling or uh, detail-oriented. And it can be a little more broad and it can be a lot more fun. And so that's where the slack line comes in for me uh, as one of my favorite pieces of equipment you could possibly build stability on which for those of you who don't know what a slack line is, it's a piece of webbing that you would string up between two trees or in a more extreme case over a cliff and you would attempt to walk across it. So it's similar to tightrope walking, but tightrope uses a cable that's extremely taut and slack line uses webbing that's extremely slacked out. And that has been one of my most recent sort of avenues for developing strength and stability, uh, coordination, reflexes even, and overall just having fun while being productive. And so, uh, yeah, we got into that. And I think your initial um, reaction, Micah, was to jump on the slack line and then immediately find out how difficult it was. And that's when we had to figure out how to take the proper steps to get there or the progressions to get there. And from that point on, things just got really fun because then we were jumping on foam rollers and BOSU balls and everything else we could find and create uh, along with the obstacle courses and things like that while throwing tennis balls to create more uh, hand-eye coordination and reflex speed. And so I just kind of threw a lot out right now. So let me know if that was like too much and kind of all over the place. No, I loved it. And I think for the listeners, you know, the slack line, you know, if you're not familiar, if that's like out of your, you know, in flow, we talk a lot about the challenge skills ratio and that was too challenging for my, I think actually more of my physical capabilities than balance, right? Like some of the instabilities in my body. 
And what I loved about the way we approached building stabilization is it was it was through fun, right? So we reduced the challenge a little bit while still building up the skill that we'd need to do that task ultimately. I think that's such a refreshing way to think about something instead of like, and also just to say like the ski pole, you, you have those walking sticks that you'll use on the slack line. So there's a lot of different ways that we played with things. But I think play is kind of this major word that really stuck out in our time together. You know, as, as I've started to approach it, because I think you're right, it is like myofascial release type stuff. It's, it's painful, you know, or dry needling is painful. Like PT is painful, you know, for on a lot of levels, not just physically, but often emotionally, depending on, on the injury. So I think to me, that was such a wonderful gift and really expanded my perspective of the world. So, and, mm-hmm. and I'm hopeful any listeners listening to this are like, oh yeah, well, I can't slackline. Well, it's like, no, 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 well, stand on one foot. You know, <laughs> like that's okay. Like that's, that's literally the progression. Yeah. And I can tell you a little bit about how I got to that point because I think it's, now that I'm here, I get a lot of questions about like, okay, but like, how do I, where do I start? Especially if people don't have a slack line or aren't ready just to jump on it, especially if they are dealing with a more serious imbalance or injury, uh, I would not just throw them on a slack line. So yeah, you mentioned standing on one leg and trying to touch your toes or sitting in a chair and standing up from one leg at a time. So unilateral movements. Uh, In fitness, we call them pistol squats, which is like one of the hardest lower body exercises you could do, but you can modify it and you can do it from a, a seated position, sitting in a chair and then standing up using one leg at a time, along with walking on a, a straight line. So literally doing your, um, your drunk test, right? Putting down a piece of tape on the floor and trying to walk on it. And if that's too easy for you, then you can try to hop on it. And staying on that line, and I mean one foot directly in front of the other, not wavering and even pausing and regaining balance. So that's very similar um, to slacklining because on a slack line, you make one inch off to the side and you're going to slip and you're going to fall. And so starting with a line on the floor, and then I was a huge gym junkie. That's where I got into fitness and corrective exercise to begin with. And I would take those battle ropes that almost every gym has, and I would just lay them across the floor and I would walk across them. And they're not too big. I don't know. They're like an inch in diameter maybe. And so they have a little bit of play and a little bit of roll. And if you try to walk on them, you do run the risk of kind of rolling an ankle. And so you're fighting that and you're developing ankle stability and and you're developing balance and if you do that long enough and feel like you're proficient enough then i was doing lunges on them so i would stand one foot in front of the other widen my stance and do lunges and that was way before i ever slacklined so then by the time i was introduced to a slackline i actually felt pretty good at it and i was able to pick it up pretty quickly so there's some stuff you can do without a slack line that would still build the hips. And of course, your knee being the joint uh, that's stuck in between would get a lot of that stability as well. So if you're looking to prevent 
any major uh, or common injuries like an ACL tear or rolling your ankle, especially, those are some really good progressions to be playing with. And I really like that you you mentioned play because that, to me, should be how it should feel. If you're not having fun, you're not going to stick with it, not for long at least. You might stick with your, your PT program uh, that your physical therapist gives you because you know it's good for you. But I've met almost nobody who has stuck with their PT program for the rest of their life. They're just like, well, after I'm done with physical therapy, I'm done. And I'm like, no, you're never done. After physical therapy comes preventing the next injury. And that's what we call prehab or rehab done proactively. So you turn a reactive approach of, oh, I got hurt. Now I need to go to physical therapy. You turn it into a proactive approach of, okay, I don't want to go through that again. I will continue my physical therapy, increasing the difficulty of it and progress my strength and stability and mobility so that I hopefully don't ever have to deal with those injuries again. And that is what got me into prehab and working with um, athletes who just are sick of injuries, don't want to worry about them anymore, and they want to go really hard and push their bodies and not worry about you know tearing it apart. So that's where I'm currently at and that play aspect being, I would say, the most important part of it. Makes total sense. And I think, I mean, I'm super guilty of that, right? The amount of times I've done yoga, gotten myself out of pain, and then I'm like, all right, cool, I'm good. And, you know, three months later, you're back to the same spot. So find, finding that sustainable play spot. And I think, you know, if you want to kind of mention how play interacts with flow, because I think that's one of your favorite, perhaps, flow triggers or maybe the essence of what flow is to you, even. Yeah, definitely. And you can think of it as a flow trigger if you want, but I absolutely love that you just mentioned the essence of it. Because to me, flow is is fun and playful in every way. But yeah, essentially all of this started for me out of a deep desire to play as hard as I possibly could without dying. If I was to try to break it all down, and was like, I just wanted to go really hard and not die. And I didn't even know I was striving after flow states at the time. I didn't know I was seeking to perform my best even. I literally just wanted to hit the mountain and feel really good about what I was doing and increase my level of difficulty or my skill level as I went. And as I started to do it more and more, I was like, oh man, I'm kind of pushing my luck here, which I don't believe in luck anymore, but I felt I was really pushing my limits. And so I was like, okay, well, if I need to, or if I'm going to play as hard as I can and hopefully prevent injuries, I need to put in a lot more work. And that's where hitting the gym and, and working out came in. But then as I, I've been a personal trainer for a long time. And as I put in hours in the gym and I literally lived in my camper in the gym parking lot. So I spent every waking moment in the gym and then I drove my camper up to the mountains on the weekend and I lived in the parking lot at the ski resorts. And so that was my life for uh, some time. And I would put work in at the gym, I would train clients 
And then I would go up and I would push my body and play as hard as I could. And after doing that for some time, I was like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't I merge them? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't they become one and the same? Why wouldn't my workout, my training become as fun as what I'm doing on the mountain? How would that happen? And that process took years and also me relocating up to the mountains there in Colorado and, and finally having a, a space in my backyard with a trampoline to play in and string up a slack line and hang my rings from a tree and create my first playground, essentially, that I was training on. And then eventually get a studio where I could do the same and even expand further. So that process took a lot of time. But I'm, I was starting to really, really seek play in my workouts. And as I did so, I, I stumbled upon flow states. And I say stumbled, even though I was accessing them very regularly because I didn't really understand what I was doing. It was just happening because I was playing and having fun. But after um, you know, diving into Stephen Kotler's The Rise of Superman and, and Stealing Fire, even these books helped give me words to what I was experiencing. And that flow state is exactly what I was going for. And so to me, flow and play are synonymous. You cannot separate them. Because if you are so engaged in an activity that you lose your sense of self and your sense of time, and you are just overwhelmed with richness, and you are losing yourself in that moment, then to me, that is play. And that is, is what I experience when I play, especially in the mountains, especially you know with a little bit of risk and with my friends and just sending it you know, as hard as we can. That to me is play and flow combined. And so to bring that into my training, I really started trying to figure out how to bridge the gap between what happened on the mountain and what happened off the mountain in my training and in my workouts. And essentially, I was like, well, flow is what I'm getting into on the mountain. Why wouldn't I try to bring that into my workouts? How do I do that? And it really boiled down to, well, making my workouts more fun and freeing them from the rigid structure that they were stuck in. So I used to pre-program my workouts. I used to think about it ahead of time of like, okay, I need to do this many squats uh, at that much weight because last week I did it at this much weight. Okay, I need to go in and I need to do this much of this workout and that much of that. And I would think about it. And freeing it from that structure allowed me to be more creative and improvise in the moment and free flow or freestyle. And that word just recently came to me, even though, again, I've been doing this for some time now, because I'm always around these freestyle athletes who are going up to the mountain and trying to learn tricks. And that's what you kind of think of as freestyle for action sports, at least, is uh, athletes who are, who are trying to learn something new and create a new, uh, new trick. And that concept I started to take into my workouts. 
how do I create a brand new workout, something I've never done before? And that was just this last year of challenging myself every time I worked out to create a brand new exercise progression that I myself had never even done. So not just a a new one that I've never heard of or seen, but one that I've also never done. So that literally meant going to my workouts every single day and going, oh, but I did that yesterday. I did that last week. Okay, tweak it, modify it, change it, improvise. Uh, How do I do that? And that is where the freestyle component really came in or what I'm now calling experimental exercise. And so bringing in the, the experiment, uh, the experimental process has been absolutely huge for allowing more flow in my workouts and providing my body with more variety and more, uh, more stress and stimuli that I can play with and adapt to in the moment. And that gives, I believe, the most range of movement patterns that you could then use and apply and translate to the sport that you're doing on the mountain. So again, that was a lot, I realized. Let me know if I'm losing you there. No, you're doing great. You're doing great for me. And I think there's this. So one of the things that was really powerful about training with you at the space and doing the prehab stuff is the, this idea of community and just the idea of is what you would hearing what you say and knowing you as a person, I know it's not intimidating, but one of the things that was so beautiful is how little pieces of novelty and innovation can meet those needs for progression. So if you're sitting there and dude, what's, I don't, I'm not really on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle again? Yeah, live dot harder. Yeah. And if you want to go see John with his shirt off, like pretty much all the time, and a bunch of like really innovative things that are like out of most people's skill sets to do. But what I love about it, if we stop comparing, you know, if we're not comparing ourselves to that act, we're actually just looking at it as an idea of innovation. I think that's the thing. It's we're looking at functional movement and play from a lens of creativity as well. Right of just allowing for yourself to have that progression in a fun, non-judgmental space. So anyone listening, you know, who does, you know, as a gym rat, if you will, you know, if your gyms are even open right now, maybe try doing your curls on, you know, some sort of stability thing or on one foot or, you know, doing just warming up with some tennis ball juggling type things. I know we did a flow workshop two weeks ago and I brought, I went to the space until it took your like five gallon bucket of tennis balls. They're pretty much all used, you know, they're mostly back. I'm sure I lost some, but, uh, you know, I I think that's what I want for like the listeners to hear in this moment of like, Hey, these are all things that like, you know, one of the things that struck me with you is you're like, Hey, like a lot of the stuff you use is just PVC and tennis balls and like stuff that you probably have around your house and you don't need to go spend a ton of money on stuff. You can just do it anywhere, right? Yeah. And I love that you just said that too, because I spent so much of my time learning this stuff in the gym where they had the Mm -hmm. fanciest equipment and people would pay a premium to, to use that equipment. That's what gyms literally are capitalizing on. And that's not wrong necessarily, but if you're not made of money and you don't want to pay a premium gym membership to go use their fancy equipment, or if you don't want to buy into all the fitness fads, and I truly think most of them are fads, 
then it's important you you le- you learn how to create without spending all your money or without buying somebody else's fitness invention and the next you know the next fitness craze so that's where looking at the simple things and the novel things the things that people are often over overstepping and totally missing because oh it's it's too easy like I, why would i waste my time with that uh, and that's where the tennis balls came in for real. Uh, I would just go to the local tennis courts, the tennis center there. And I would ask, Hey, do you guys have old tennis balls? Because after you use tennis balls for a certain time, they lose their bounce. And so they, they often throw out, or I don't even know what they do with these old tennis balls. So I would go there and I would get trash bags and bucketfuls of these old tennis balls and then I don't have to worry about like spending any money. They're literally giving them to me for free. And I would bring them into my classes and we would warm up with throwing these tennis balls and doing all kinds of different uh, drills. And there's a ton of them. If you just Google hand-eye drills or you know reflex drills that you can start to play with. And we would create some of our own even. And we would be throwing these back and forth while standing on a foam roller, which is another novel way to use a foam roller, by the way. And or a a BOSU ball or a stability disc or even what I call a baller board, which you can see on my Instagram. But again, you should progress slowly with it because it's taking a medicine ball, one of those hard rubber medicine balls, and putting a piece of plywood on it and standing on it. And so I would kind of try to combine these in as new and novel ways as possible to to force people to adapt. And that right there is like the main word and the, the truly the main component to making play more productive towards your training goals. So if you have serious goals often it's like, ah, why would I play? Like my goals are serious. Like I'm an athlete and I have to train really freaking hard for, for my triathlon. And I'm like, okay, you can still do that in a playful way. And the key word that makes play productive is adaptability. So if you always have that word in your head because you don't want to use the word play, that's fine. Then train adaptability. And that's something that you have to think extremely creatively to train, to be adaptable. But the tennis balls do a really good job of that. PVC pipe too, which is a little bit harder for me to explain without showing, but there's all kinds of different drills you can do uh, with very, very little fitness equipment, if not you know any at all, just using your own body weight and throwing a tennis ball around. 100%. I mean, I think... One of the, one of the takeaways and one of the ways we use languagings in our, in our centers is the idea of like stabilization and then optimization, you know, where I was like building that. And one of the things I love about what I'm hearing from you is like, it doesn't matter where you're at. Like if you're me coming in with like my lower disc issues in my back versus someone training for their next, you know, Ironman, it's still, it's this ongoing notion of integrating that into your lifestyle. And I'm also hearing that idea of like this curiosity and creativity, which to me is a very, especially back from, our, from my days as like a wilderness guide and doing the kind of John Young, Tom Brown type wilderness skills. That's one of the virtues that we see as being maybe 
almost putting on a pedestal in some ways in my mind of like when we have that online, which is kind of congruent with gratitude, our, our satisfaction and joy in life tends to go up exponentially. So I'm really, I'm really digging all this. And I hope, I hope the listeners are too, because it's like, Hey, this is, this is why, or this is how we can kind of make subtle tweaks to a routine we might already have, or this is why taking that step and making a commitment to create a routine might be really powerful. Mm-hmm. So. And my, my advice would never be to throw out your routine completely. If you yeah. like you're actually doing it, great. Keep doing it. But chances are at some point, if you did the exact same thing every single day, you would no longer be progressing. You would plateau and you would probably get bored. And so since most people I know, I always say, okay, add a tennis ball, add a very unique and novel stimuli to adapt to. And what that often means is like you do planks every day. Great. Keep doing planks. Planks are a fabulous exercise. But try to throw a tennis ball from one arm to the other in a plank position. Try to bounce a tennis ball off of a wall while doing a side plank. Try to move the ball between all fours in a plank or a a bear crawl position. So that means you have your hands on the floor, you're rolling from one hand to the other, and then you're rolling it back to one foot and then to the other foot, and you're just circulating it through. And you can do this by yourself or with a partner or in a group. So adding a tennis ball introduces a novel stimuli that you need to adapt to while you're still doing a traditional or conventional exercise or movement. So it's not really so much about starting from scratch. In fact, that's not even where I started. It's just about thinking how you can adapt to something new uh, that you haven't yet. Well, I think those are all great. That's, you know, plank is something anyone can do. Any, well, not anyone. Most people can do, you know, depends on like, you know, as a, a moment of my ableism. So I apologize for any listeners, but a lot of people can do that. But whatever your piece may be, even if it is something like sitting in a chair with limited mobility, we can add just that same type of concept into it. Yeah, it's so powerful. So the other to kind of bring it into flow a little bit, and this is like a subtext for maybe someone that's maybe not as bought in. They're like, well, I, you know, I still don't like that. Sounds fun. Like play sounds nice, but you know why? Like my mind goes to like when we hit those flow states or those play states, we have such an, we have, we do such a service to our nervous system. We're flushing all the stress hormones out. We have like anandamide and other neurotransmitters that might be painkillers or increased joy and satisfaction. Like, you know, dopamine, these other pieces, we're also getting out of the whole cortisol norepinephrine cycle of like high beta. So I, I think when we do this, we're also setting ourselves up for the rest of the day for success. You know, so if, if your goal might not be to, you know, be snowboarding or a triathlon or anything, you know, any sort of sort of event, but actually just to be a little more productive or a little happier at work or to be a little more recharged when you get home, you know, approaching a workout in the same way um, or in a, in a way of like fun play flow actually is going to increase that. Is that kind of been your experience as well or yeah definitely because not everybody can go hit the mountain hard every single day and if they do they're running the risk of burning out or getting really hurt and so since you 
have a lot of downtime from the mountain. And if you try to compare your, your working conditions with your play conditions of hitting the mountain or wherever it is, you know, it doesn't even have to be the mountain, but whatever activity you love to do that you're most passionate about, if you compare it to sitting behind a desk and working or whatever project you're working on, then it's missing something. There's some, there's, there's no comparison. And if you can bring flow into your daily life, if you can bring the feeling of the ecstatic feeling of being one with your environment and selflessness and timelessness and total effortlessness in your work, then you're going to be way more productive and you're going to perform at your very best. So to me, that's what flow means. And since I, like most people, was not able to, to go hard on the mountain and, and be in a flow state 24-7, that downtime, I was like, okay, how do I have maybe a little bit more flow even? How do I enhance it when I'm working on projects and when I'm just doing the, the gritty day-to-day uh, life stuff? And that's where movement has been such a key component for me. And play, yes, I'll go back to that over and over again. Play essentially allows you to not take it so seriously. That's why I like the word play. When you think of play, you think of kids running around on a playground, hopefully. And that literally gives you a sense of childlike wonder again. And and it's the first time you're playing a game and you don't know how it's going to go. And so that's the sense that gives me the most happiness in my life. Flow sounds very serious. It sounds like, oh, flow state so I can perform my best. And play sounds very like, it's not serious at all. It's just play. Like, don't take it so seriously. We're just playing around. Like, so to me, even though they're synonymous, I like to think of play very much like the day-to-day well, flow is the, all right, I absolutely have to perform my best now, uh, or I could either die or something serious repercussions could happen. Well, play is like, there's nothing serious about this. Like we're just here to have fun. And so in your day-to-day life, if you can add more play in, oftentimes you can have a lot more of those happy neurochemicals that you're talking about especially dopamine and serotonin, oxytocin, anandamide. And all of those are all equivalent, if not greater, in a flow state. And so play to me is kind of a, a micro flow state, if you will. And you can really even utilize it to get through a struggle phase. So if, if you're trying to take on a new challenge which we know that the challenge to skill ratio is what will lead to a flow state faster than anything, is if your challenge perfectly matches your skill, it's almost unavoidable that you will be in flow. The two are so harmonious that you can, uh, you can really focus on them as your ultimate flow trigger, I think. So if you're struggling because your skill doesn't quite meet the challenge, because you've given yourself a challenge worth taking on and you're struggling to get your skill up, the one thing that I've found that will ease that struggle, that will allow you to get past 
the struggle phase uh, where you have all that adrenaline and norepinephrine and you're struggling is to play and not take it so seriously. Because the moment you get out of your own head is often the moment you drop right into a flow state and all of a sudden you get that first bit of dopamine and you're there. And so to me, it really is just the best, uh, the best method for getting out of my head. And so in my day-to-day life, I like to think of things as fun and playful rather than serious and, and intense. The intensity is a good thing, but I'm now coming around to really seeing that life isn't so serious at all. And it's way more fun if you just play around with things and it's all an experiment. And that means you cannot fail because you just have to play more. (laughs) So that's at least uh, kind of my take on play and flow and and how to get through the challenge, the challenges or the struggle phase um, and into a flow state using play. Love it. You know, my mind split on two kind of directions here. One is the like, you know, kind of that routine stuff you and I were talking about earlier, this, this experiment and play of like, what is the routine? And then another thing that I think I'll just give a nod to is this idea of doing depth work as well. Mm-hmm. So while a lot of us get stuck in overanalyzing and doing being serious, I'm always, I think back to like, I think play as a childhood experience is very positive overall for hopefully most people, but then there's also those kind of beliefs that we can integrate of like, I'm not good enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not tall enough. You know, I play too hard. I hurt somebody. I always, you know, I am the best. So there's these beliefs that can get kind of ego identified from childhood, if that makes sense to you. So kind of giving a nod at some of the depth work that might help that process. Kind of curious on your take of that, especially, you know, with your, yeah, I'm curious on your take on that. So... (laughs) Well, that, oh man, that's a whole can of worms. So to me, I think everyone's dealing with something from their childhood. I, I hesitate to say traumatic, but we all are dealing with some level of trauma. That's literally part of this journey we call life. And overcoming it is our greatest challenge because ultimately we created the level of unworthiness uh, that is then attached to that trauma, that that trauma created deep in us when we were children. And I don't know a ton about this other than my own experience with it. And I'm still just scraping the surface and trying to understand my own childhood trauma and my own unworthiness. But if you go back to the playground, And you think of kids playing on a playground and there's always something goes wrong every time you you cannot, you cannot bring a bunch of kids together on a playground and not one of, not one of them start crying at some point. Like that's, that is kind of the, my best visualization of childhood trauma. Of course you have deeper, deeper layers of that, which relates to parents and all of the things Um, that adults bring. But if you think of kids playing on a playground, you can often see how one kid will push another kid. And the kid who gets pushed down has a number of options. And this is the adaptability component of play that I love so much. But that kid that gets pushed down has a couple options available to them. They can either stay down and cry. They can get up 
and push back and fight, or they can get up and look the other kid in the eyes and go, I know you didn't mean to do that. Tag, you're it. And then run, right? Those are kind of the options that kids have if you, in that scenario, at least. Um, and that last option, the latter, the option three is, is my favorite. And it relates to me, it, it kind of relates to childhood trauma. And even as adults, we have these same options. Do you, do you stay down and cry until your mom comes? Do you get up and fight because you know, you're enraged? Or do you get up and look at the challenger in the eyes and go, nice one, tag, you're it, and then, and then run you know, and like play? And to me, that's the one I'm always striving for in my life, especially when it comes to challenges. Uh, and especially when it comes to triggers, if you talk about like, uh, you know, being triggered because of some deep subconscious level of childhood trauma that comes up and you're all of a sudden inferior, infuriated and, and you catch yourself in that moment, you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have a number of options here. What are they? So to me, that's kind of, I guess, my best understanding of like play and utilizing play to release that energy to release that like initial frustration or, or wanting to just curl up in a ball and cry and and actually rise to the challenge and meet it uh with the same you know level of of i guess intensity but not anger not anger but rather love and and looking at it like ah yeah here's a challenge i'm ready like because this is going to bring more growth and that means more flow and that means more fun and then i get to play more and of course, like life becomes more fun from that perspective. I love that. I mean, that's, you know, and moving into the second part of that, like when I, that bifurcation of my mind earlier is this idea of, of building, you know, kind of speak for myself on this one. And then kind of, I'm curious to hear what you're developing as well. I just wrote an eight week program for myself that really looks at my addiction to intensity and distractibility. And looking at really shifting my nervous system and mind slash brain response to distractions and um, reactivity, I guess. So that's, that's kind of vague and broad, but really, like just for the listeners, and you know, I'll probably dive more into this, and I think it'll actually become a program we're going to offer sooner than later. But really looking at how do you reprogram your nervous system so that you can actually have a response instead of a reaction in that moment when you got pushed down or in that moment when you push someone else down, right? Cause you can, you can have a different, you're, you're going to, you know, all these different aspects have that. So how can we have as much flexibility or fluidity between the extremes of say sympathetic activation and parasympathetic activation, you know, being kind of the two branches, two parts of our nervous system. Um, nice. Yeah. So what's that? I'll let you know. I just got chills as you said that because I, and that to me is kind of my gut instinct of like, Ooh, you're getting close. You're getting close. So like, if you want to unwrap, unravel a lot of this diving deeper into vagal theory or, or the vagus nerve, I believe is what you're hitting on, but the ability to go from a fight or flight response of like, you're going to, you're going to punch back or run or a rest and digest or, you know, a more mellow chill response and being able to balance that out, I think is absolutely where a lot of people right now are struggling the most. 
right? We are, we went from like uh, the best year of our life in 2019 to uh, seemingly the worst in 2020 in a matter of months. And that is terrifying. And it threw a ton of us into fight or flight response very quickly. And all of a sudden we're in a massive unknown. And so I think this is absolutely the time to be really, really uh, tuning into your vagus nerve, your 10th nerve, your most important um, part of your physiology that regulates those responses. And so, yeah, if you're talking about reprogramming, I absolutely, I, I mean, I just got chills because like, yeah, this is how we reprogram is we train the vagus nerve. We train our breath. We train in extremes like cold water. We train our, we train our immune system we, you know, we train our autonomic nervous system and that gives us the ability to quickly adapt to our environment and to not uh, crumble and cry when something really intense and stressful is upon us. So I think the work you're doing right now in these areas is massive and profound and I'm just trying to learn it. But I, yeah, just want to let you know, I got serious chills when you said that. Well, I love it, dude. Thanks. And I mean, I got chills too, but it's probably because Bonnie and I just jumped in the river this morning and it's like 43 degrees. It was really cold water. The, uh, and, and, you know, just to, to, to say, you know, for listeners, the autonomic nervous system is perhaps the worst name system in our body. It's anything but automatic. We actually have control over it and we don't have it's one of those ironies that we perhaps have more ancient wisdom and technology around working with that system. And yet from like a modern standpoint, you know, we've lost. So like a lot of the yogic breath work, just, to, you know, I'm not going to go through a list of everything, but just as, as an example, um, there's a lot of lineage around that. And, and I think breath for me and with the clients we work with is where I start because it's really fast. You know, we can do the, Inhale for three seconds, four seconds, take a little extra gulp of air, exhale for eight or 10 seconds while humming or with your eyes closed. And most people will feel something change after three cycles or even one cycle. Whereas another aspect of this that's harder to get people to buy into might be the contemplative mindfulness or from kind of Peter Levine's standpoint, the somatic experiencing of orienting towards, we call it, he calls it kind of a red and blue vortex, but stabilizing versus destabilizing and you know there's there's a certain level of slowing down and a certain level level of unfolding in the process you know this isn't an overnight thing so that's where i, I kind of look at some of it is and kind of a nod to the childhood trauma type work where it's like hey some of this we can do a state hack you know it's like hey you're stressed out you still need to go jump off that cliff because you're about to do your competition or you need to go give your presentation or whatever you're afraid of Let's just at least regulate you in that moment. And the other part being the depth work where you're actually going into that work and allowing for a sequence and closure so you don't have that running you inside your nervous system. You know, and that's where that kind of belief belief and depth work might come in and where I think, you know, to kind of give a nod to... I kind of had this realization of like the two most powerful things in my life, and maybe not powerful, the two fastest changes I've ever experienced in my nervous system and mindset has been psychedelics slash ceremony, really ceremonial psychedelics. Cause that really needs to be pulled apart from just, you know, messing around in college and eating mushrooms or something. 
Um, well, well, it was valuable, but for me, that didn't have the profound effect as like medicinal type work did and have like, raising a daughter, like I've been coming a father in the past, you know, this year actually. So those to me were these like really fast, rapid transformations. I think other people have different languages, but you know, for people that are listening, starting with breath and then moving into deeper areas, but creating an anchor and creating a routine. So that's kind mm -hmm. of our, the routine I'm writing is a morning and evening piece. That's just about self-connection and stabilization. And then trying to figure out how to sprinkle that in for myself so that I'm actually pressure releasing my stress throughout the day so I can sleep better, feel better, and be more energized and present for my family when I get done with work. You know, I think mm -hmm. a lot of us are looking for some version of that. So I'm curious as to, I know, I think I harassed you on Instagram through our mutual friend Melanie's account the other day. Because <laughs> I really, I don't even know how to log into my Instagram right now. <laughs> so the, uh, but I know I saw some fancy colored circles on a, on a wall and you talking about different approaches. So I'm really curious to hear, you know, from the same standpoint of kind of reprogramming, repatterning, just building life stability of what, what that might look like. I know we hit, we really deep dove into that play and movement piece, but I'm curious what other, you know, balls you're juggling, if you will. <laughs> so... <laughs> Man, you threw so much at me. I could go into any one of those, including the juggling topic. But yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, I can uh, connect all these dots. With so essentially, what you're talking about is to me the the connection between healing trauma and hacking flow, which is so funny. Mm -hmm. We call it, in the Western world we call it hacking flow. We want to be hackers and we want to figure it out, and it's so. <laughs> The Eastern traditions and wisdom has done this since day one. Uh, and they're, they're just saying the exact same thing over and over and over. But then we, us Westerners, we figure one thing out and we're like, ooh, now I'm a hacker. Okay, cool. Um, so this is to me the, the thing I am the most passionate and excited about right now because it's the connection between healing your childhood trauma and then performing at your very best. So what I like to call upgrading, if you will. And to me, it is play. It is an experiment. It is nothing more than taking the endless amounts of information that we have access to now and seeing mm -hmm. through it and trying one thing after another to figure out what works for you. Because the only the only issue we're really running into right now is not how much is not have not having information. Uh, I believe the the phrase is paralysis by analysis. Mm -hmm. We are drowning in information and starving for motivation. Some of those quotes are so profound because all of the information is at our fingertips, and yet we can't seem to do any of it because we're just overwhelmed by it. There's so much to it. And so for me, it's a matter of no one is going to give me the source code to me. No one is going to give me the 10-step the program to, to healing my trauma and performing my best. I literally have to figure this out for myself. I have to figure out how to, how to deprogram and reprogram and upgrade. And that is a lifelong process. I think it's absolutely um, going to be an ongoing experiment for the rest of my life. 
However, I think there are certain aspects that are so important that we start with, and it sounds like you are doing the exact same thing with putting together a program that somebody could, could start at, right? It, sh- it, it helps them shortcut a lot of this because then they can jump on the bandwagon and they can, they can start from where you're suggesting rather than just going, I have no idea because it's just too much. They can go, okay, okay, Micah seems to know. I'm going to start there. John seems to know. I'm going to start there. And then experiment with from that point on and then continue the experiment. So I literally am calling this the experiment and I'm considering myself uh, the guinea pig. So I've decided to take all of these different aspects of my well-being, my health and my wellness and longevity and flow states and put them together for the first time. I've done them all at different times in my life. I've intermittent fasted intermittently. I've done cold showers randomly. I've, I've tapped into flow states here and there, but I don't live by it every single day. And so I go, well, what is missing? Uh, discipline for one, okay? So I need to set up a time frame to be disciplined. So I chose 33 days, which is a synchronistic number. And I chose that because between the dates, August 8, 8, which is 8-8, and September 9, which is 9-9, it happens to be 33 days. So I was like, ooh, there's a lot of synchronicity there. I'm going to go into this uh, as a 33-day challenge. And I'm going to challenge myself to do all of these things that I know are good for me, but I've never seemed to be able to stick with. And so I'll walk you through some of them and where I'm at now. Today's day eight, because like I said, I started on the eighth, which was last Saturday, but I, that was day one. So today's day eight. And I am just now getting into combining movement, which I've done a lot of in my life and is my favorite doorway into flow, moving my body with music which I've done very little of my life. I don't play any instruments yet. Uh, I'm just now learning to play guitar. And that's part of my challenge is to actually play guitar every day for 33 days. With mind mapping, which is putting all of this crazy information that's in my head and online, putting it on my wall to see it, putting it in front of my face to look at it every day and then add to it and map this process out. So those were the dots you were seeing on my Instagram, the the mind map that I'm creating. Combining that with meditation, which is something that everyone says we should do, and I somehow can't force myself to do it. I can have all this discipline and other aspects in my life, but somehow meditation is something that I struggle with every day. And it has a lot to do with how crazy chaotic and ramped up my brain is. But meditation with manifestation... So create, creating something, bringing something from my head into this third dimension, into reality, manifesting it, creating it with medicine. And medicine can be literally anything that you put in your mouth. Anything that you ingest um, can be medicine. So the food you eat. So I, I've broken medicine down into three. Medicine is probably the most complicated, which is why I'm going to 
like touch on it last as far as my Instagram followers go. I'm going to get to that one last because it's so complex because it can be literally anything. I mean, even, um, yeah, even water is, is medicine, right? But medicine can be anything as far as uh, these three aspects, which is sustenance or food. I like to think of sustenance as food, supplements or micronutrients, supplements, and substances. So, um, you know, you can think of that as most of our mind-altering substances. So you mentioned psychedelics, but anything mind-altering substances. So those three, I'm now really trying to understand. And one component that I'm finding for medicine, uh, whether it's food medicine or plant-based medicine or plant medicine for psychedelics, uh, is the microdosing. So if you macrodose medicine, I don't think it's medicine. I think that's when it becomes harmful. So dose is a huge part of that. So either way, the medicine component is really complex. And we can dive more into that, especially if you want to talk about reprogramming, depatterning, shutting off the default mode network, allowing yourself to see the world as brand new and, and have new connections and more neuroplasticity than absolutely the the short, shortest shortcut I've ever found is plant medicine, some psychedelics, consciousness altering, state altering substances. And so all of these aspects to me, I'm in the middle of experimenting with, and I'm not suggesting anyone do any of the things I'm doing. I'm suggesting that they experiment with whatever they want to experiment with. They don't have to experiment with psychedelics. They don't have to experiment with meditating. But absolutely, if you don't experiment in any way, then you're just going to end up being programmed by your world. You're going to be conditioned by everything around you because you, you are a sponge. You are nothing more than a, a giant antenna with five input streams and you're absorbing all that input and then your brain is trying to assimilate and make sense of it all. And it's programming you via your subconscious. And then everything that comes up to consciousness, up to your conscious mind, is part of that program. And that can be anything from your childhood trauma uh, to the amazing idea that you just had that you need to share with the world. So I personally am sick of my childhood trauma coming up and controlling my program. And I am obsessing with having everything that come up from my, that my subconscious feeds my conscious mind be nothing but the most creative and insightful information that I can. And I have, I'm doing that by reprogramming the process, reprogramming my actual processor, which is not just my brain, by the way, it's actually your physiology, it's every nerve, every cell in your body. And I truly believe. It's even outside of your body um, in what you would call, you know, your spirit. So again, a ton of information there, but that is essentially my most current experiment, combining all of these amazing magical M words and uh, seeing where they overlap, seeing where they connect and finding the most powerful and um, important parts of them for me in my life.
I love it. And I think, you know, for everyone listening, it's like, I'd imagine some people are deeply resonating with that. And some people that might be a little far down the road or, you know, maybe they're in past that stage. I don't know. <laughs> Congrats, you know, but it's like having that consistency and looking towards those things perhaps we're avoiding of is part of what I'm here. You're doing where it's like, you've had such, I look up to your consistency and discipline in a lot of ways. And I'm also hearing the humility of like, Hey, there's other areas I've neglected. And it, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, for those of us that work a desk job, recovery might look like riding our bike. And for those of us that ride bikes, recovery might look like, you know, reading a book, you know, and, and not that it's that static, but it's like, sometimes when we're very active, the opposite is really balancing and wonderful. So like looking at those other things and noticing our biases and noticing our avoidances. And to say too, for those people that aren't interested in medicine work, because they're either afraid of it or it's illegal and these other things, medicine meaning specifically substance of that are illegal in our country currently. Um, you know, we're, we're experimenting in our offices with say psilocybin informed neurofeedback with different waking theta states. I used this thing called the Lucia light last night for the first time. And it's just to mimic like five MEO DMT. That was interesting. Um, and yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> what's that? I want to know more about that. I sent, I sent you a link. Um, uh, so, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways in and we're always looking for the shortcut, but I think one of the takeaways here is like, there are definitely things where you don't need to struggle as long as you are struggling. And a lot of us live our lives in struggle. And there's also a definite truth to like needing to sit on the cushion and do your work, you know, a nod to kind of the contemplative spaces of like, Hey, also, you know, we can hack your brain. We can do these different things, but there's still, having a contemplative practice, having a routine, having stability within your life will deepen and accelerate and allow for the unfolding of those other journeys. Well, another beautiful M word that just came to me uh, yesterday, I believe, is mantras. And for those of you, mantras are ancient words of affirmation. And I use mantras because it's an M word and I'm obsessing with M words. It's how my brain works. It's how it connects all these crazy different things together. So words of affirmation, you have to repeat or they don't work. So you're repeating over and over and over. And from what I understand, that's the reason that um, a lot of Buddhists use the beads, the mala beads. Again, another M word. (laughs) So you have these mantras that you're repeating and these words of affirmation, and they can be anything. You can create your own mantras and you repeat them. The repeating process, the repetitive process is what makes it stick. So what Mike is saying, sitting down or, or what'd you say, cushion time, like actually doing the work means putting in the repetitions, putting in the time. And it's not easy. I, I equate it to going to the gym and doing your reps, like actually doing the workout. And it's funny because to me, working out is now super easy while sitting and meditating is super hard. So I lie on that side of the spectrum. And that's why I know that without a doubt, I have to challenge myself for at least these 33 days to sit down and meditate and make it part of my morning routine or it's not going to stick. I have to really repeat it. 
every day, every single day I sit down and I meditate. Okay. I will not start my day. I will not do anything other than go to the bathroom until I've meditated. And so that's been something I had to put right at the forefront of my day. That is the first thing I do every day because otherwise I'll skip it. I'm not going to meditate if I've already had my coffee. That's for sure. My brain's already going. It's gone. It's ready for my day. Um, And so the repetitive nature of programming is sometimes work, but I don't think it needs to be work. I'm convinced it should be play. It should be fun. And if you, if you re, rephrase it, reform it as an experiment, which is what I'm in the middle of, then it becomes fun and it becomes playful. So it, it's no longer, oh, I have to get up early and I have to meditate or I won't do it. It's like, no, ooh, I got to meditate because now when I meditate, I can use my audiovisual entrainment device and I can measure my HRV and I can also take a microdose of mushrooms and I can see what happens. Yeah, my experimenting process is fun. So at least that's where I'm at currently. <laughs> right on, man. Right on. I love it. <laughs> I'm having a laugh too, just with like the idea of, you know, meditation and then hearing how you're meditating. And there's, you know, there's a lot of, that's awesome. I like the AV stuff, as you know, and I like everything you just said. Um, well, is there anything in closing you'd want to say, like kind of leave our listeners with, or like what's the best way and, and what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Yeah. So right now, the best way is probably my Instagram because I'm actually putting a ton of energy into it to try to show people the ins and the outs of this ongoing experiment. Like I said, I just started it and I'm posting every single day about it. So if you go to my Instagram, live.harder, you can uh, direct message me and I'll respond pretty quickly there. Um, you can email, but I, I'm not checking my emails every day, honestly. Um, so that's going to be the best way right now. And yeah, I would say that this crazy, crazy life that we're living right now that is only getting crazier, in case you haven't noticed, is supposed to be fun. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to have a really hard time. If you can figure out how to make it more fun and experimental and not take it so seriously when everything around you is shifting, because it's not just falling apart and going to shit, it's just shifting. And you can shift with it and you can adapt and you can use it as this stressor and stimuli you need to, to... fuel your self-growth, then you're going to come out of this crazy shift a very different person and a much better person. And you're going to be stronger and you're going to be healthier and hopefully you're going to be happier. And so to me, that's my, my purpose right now. It's why I've decided to stay in Costa Rica longer periods of time and dive deeper into my self-growth, deeper into my subconscious to to reprogram myself and upgrade. And I'm really in the middle of challenging myself to do it. And I would hope that you know somebody listening and hearing this would feel uh, inspired to do so themselves. That's all. Oh, yeah, man. I'm inspired to do it as well. And I'm mildly horrified of what the upgraded version of you is going to be like. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, 20 uh, something. They will see. 
Yeah, brother. All right, man. Well, thank you. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll, uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks guys.